Hello, and welcome to the Financial Classroom with Will and Tim, where two friends believe that the American dream is built by living within your means. Listen as we discuss how to build wealth, live frugally, and attack life with a financial plan. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another segment of the Six Figure Millennial. It's always such an honor to have these millennials come on and share their success stories with us. And like always, I'm your host, Will, and with me on the other side of the mic is Tim. Hey, everyone. It's great to be back. We're here to learn from another individual some tips, tricks, and lessons learned about how you too can reach a six-figure net worth early on in life. Yeah, so today we will be talking to Nicole from Central British Columbia. And Nicole hit $100,000 at the age of 28 years old. Uh, Nicole, would you just like to say hi and kind of introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, I'm Nicole. I'm 34. And yeah, uh, (laughs) I think that's it. Awesome. Sweet. Okay, we will get right into it. So this is a financial podcast. So we're here to talk about finances. And so Nicole, tell us your financial journey from when you were a baby to kind of 34 years old now. Were you taught finances as a kid? What were your parents like with finances? What were you like growing up with finances to, I guess, to now? Sure. Yeah, I grew up in Lower Mainland and I have two sisters and um, I would categorize my family as being lower middle class growing up. And uh, money was a really taboo subject in our house. Like we didn't talk about it unless it was like family meetings to save, how to save money or how to save different things. I remember when I was, I don't know, like 16, I asked my dad how much money he made and he said, none of your business. And my mom was like, we don't talk about that. And so later I Googled it and I looked it up and I figured out how much money my dad made. um, So yeah, I was always interested in finance, but it was always like, we don't talk about that. That's something that's too personal and none of your business. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that was really hard growing up and it always felt like there wasn't enough money. Like there was enough for the basics for sure. My parents did the best that they could for sure, but they didn't get taught either. And so they also just passed on that this is a taboo subject we don't talk about. And that led to like, if we wanted anything extra at all, because my parents definitely provided the minimum stuff and we need to work for it. So we worked really, us three girls, we worked really young. And then in high school, I really wanted to go traveling afterwards. So I realized that, I mean, I knew that I had to get another job. So I actually worked two jobs in grade 11 and 12 to save up and saved up six for about six months after high school. Cause I, I did, I figured out how much it was going to cost me for the program I wanted to do in Australia. And then in that program, we also traveled internationally. And I remember so vividly the program and everything, plane tickets, spending money, all that stuff, it was going to cost me $10,000. And it was like, Oh my goodness. I don't even think I've seen like a thousand dollars in my account. So it was a big journey to save for that $10,000. And I did it and I bought a ticket and I flew overseas and I spent six months traveling internationally into the West coast of Australia, but also um, ended up going to Indonesia and a couple other places and it was changed my life. So came back completely broke, (laughs) went back to work and knew I needed a university degree to get to not be broke growing up. I wanted some autonomy in my life. And so I went to university, had to move out and I got roommates 
mm-hmm. to make it as cheap as possible. But money was so tight and just, but it felt mm-hmm. like growing up tight. Like it was just money is tight. That's what money's supposed to be. And so I worked full time in my undergrad and I did school full time. It was so financially difficult, but doable. So I also had to take out student loans because working full-time didn't cover it, didn't cover basic costs. So I had to take out student loans while doing that. I got an undergrad major in history and minor in geography um, with a concentration in study planning. So then I graduated with an undergrad, then decided whether I wanted to, like, what do you do with an undergrad in history, right? Like, where do you go? And so did a lot of research and decided to get my B.Ed., my Bachelor of Education, sorry, and become a teacher. And so I did a full year of that. I just want to backtrack a little bit. You mentioned that it was kind of taboo talking about finances in your household. So you're married now. Do you find that that it was an adjustment being able to talk with your husband? I'm not sure if you have kids, but at least your husband uh, about finances. So my husband grew up very differently than I did. He grew up, I would say, an upper middle class. And so money was not a scary thing to him. And it wasn't impossible. And it wasn't in all of these psychological things that we can come up against in our own head about like what money is, who am I in relation to money, all of those type of things. It didn't seem to be a hook for him. And one of the things like when I was in my undergrad, every summer I would work full time. I was a supervisor at a water park. I became really good friends with the manager who talked to me about finances. And he asked me financial questions and he asked me like, what do I like financial dreams in the future? And it was like Mm -hmm. crazy. Like this guy talked about money and so comfortably and he had huge goals and it was just Mm -hmm. so incredible. And then he would lend me these books. So the first financial book I remember reading is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, which is an absolute must read for anyone. And it changed my life. Like he introduced me to the idea of passive income, of making money while you're sleeping. And that concept would like play in my head and play in my head. And like, how does that work? And how would this work? And Robert Kiyosaki talks about that too. And then he would lend me another book and another book. And then I'd go back, talk about finances. And then the summer would end and I would go back to university, taking out loans, working my tail off both in university and at these low income jobs. So it was like these two internal lives of like doing this the old school way. And then every summer going back and like having financial education and learning and reading and talking and then basically mulling over these financial ideas all year and then going back and and immersing myself in that again. That's what set me on the path. Like, so I would say I am on the path to financial independence. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. And that, yeah, that, that's what really started it for me. Yeah. And it's so important to be able to learn financial education, financial literacy early on in life. Mm -hmm. And it's clearly impacted you. You hit 100K net worth at 28 years old. You're 34 years old now. And what's your current net worth? 450,000. That's absolutely (laughs) insane. Like almost halfway to a millionaire at 34 years old. Yeah, it's bigger than I thought it would be when I was younger. (laughs) And how is that $450,000 allocated? So it's about 330 in our house right now, 100,000 in retirement, and the rest is in an emergency savings. Okay, sweet. Yeah. So I know people calculate their net worth differently. And so I use Robert Kiyosaki, surprise, surprise. And so we don't calculate like paid off cars or anything like that. We just calculate assets, money bringing into our account and liabilities as money taking out. So Sweet. And so let's go after your traveling experience in Australia, when you actually started uh, saving and getting into school, or even when you first got into your career job, which, mm-hmm. what was your salary range from then? 
to now, I guess, and if we're talking more even household, and also with that, what kind of job do you do? Sure. So that is a really interesting question because my husband and I did have not and will not be taking a linear path to financial independence or being, you know, financial, whatever. I had no savings in university, like mm-hmm. so broke. Like I would calculate how much cheese I could have each week or, or I would like not have enough, you know, like I had a boyfriend come over one time when I was in university and he made himself a pizza. And I remember thinking, well, that's the cheese for the next two weeks. Here we go. You know, like, Priorities. Yes, Priorities, the amount of cheese you can consume. That's right. There was no budgeting necessary. Well, I mean, there was, I guess, because you have to look at your finances. But when there's no money, you become such a good budgeter because it's all out the window so fast. You have to choose your priorities. And so when we first got married, I was still in my third year of university, did another year of undergrad. My husband worked in construction. And then I did a full year of Bachelor of Education, which requires you not to work. And so, well, actually, I did work part-time, even though they said not to. But And then I became a teacher. And we ended up moving into my in-laws basement suite. It was a full basement suite there. And we moved in so that I could concentrate on paying off student loans. I had $40,000 of student loan debt. My husband is extremely adverse to debt, especially consumer debt. And he doesn't like university debt. But anyway, so we had 40, I had $40,000 of student loan debt. And so we moved in to save for a down payment on a house to, so that I can concentrate my salary to go towards paying off student loan debt. And so again, we had no savings. We paid seven fifty a month to live in the basement suite. And then my in-laws were so gracious and they put 500 each month of that away for a down payment on a house. So technically oh, wow. we're paying, yeah, wow. 250 like a rent, right? That and about 500 a month went away. It was amazing. And then I worked full time and my paycheck would go directly to student loans. And so we did that for a year. And then we had just enough 5% down for our first home. And after like, cause I'm still like consuming, consuming, consuming. I'm definitely like the saver reader can like love the finances part of it. My husband is great, but that's, you know, usually there's in a couple situation, one is more keen than the other. <laughs> and <Yeah>. so... <laughs> So I, uh, yeah, I just kept reading, kept reading. And my husband was handy and he worked in construction and then he worked as a mover and then he worked for Nestle. And so he had a lot of these skills. And so we ended up buying a house a year after moving to my in-laws suite, okay. what was like the worst house in the best neighborhood we could afford. Like it was cool. the worst house. It was awful. <laughs> and that's how we, and that's how we started to build our net worth. So we cool. started in the negatives for sure, because when we moved in, I had paid off 20,000 of my student loan, but still had 20,000. And then we put 5% down to our first home, which needed a complete gut. And both of our parents thought we were absolutely crazy. And yet we bought it and we worked full-time, both of us at our jobs, and then would work full-time on the house that we bought. And we put a basement suite in so we could afford it. Everyone I know in Lower Mainland was doing that. Like that's the only way anyone at the time could afford a house. And so Mm -hmm. it was supposed to be a buy and hold rental for later. That was the intention of purchasing that home. But what happened, the market went crazy. Like after living there for about a year and a half, so we had renters, both working full time, still pretty much paycheck to paycheck, definitely paying our debts. Like we had a little bit of visa, my student loan still paying minimum payments a little bit more if I could, we were just making it like it would have been fine, but we were not 
reaching financial independence or like saving extra for retirement. Like we were going to be working to 65, you know? So if we were talking about numbers wise, sure. Mm-hmm. How much were you making then? And then have your numbers increased like yearly income? So I was a full-time teacher and I remember um, I made more as a supervisor at the water park in the summer than I did my first year of teaching. Oh my goodness. Each, each month. Yeah. So no I way. cried. I cried. <laughs> um, <laughs> per month, I should say like yeah. per month. So I, I personally do my finances on net. I don't look at I mean, I look at gross stuff, but I don't, I look at net, just like my net, my net with each one. So I'll be speaking in net. So I think we t- I took home between 26 and 2,800 bucks a month. Okay. And my husband took home about that too, probably. Okay. Yeah, probably about that or a little more. And then that rose in the next couple of years, because every year as a teacher in BC, you get a little raise. And so that rose to 30... 400 bucks a month net full-time and then and my husband made more his raises were more so he just a bit more than that okay when we lived in lower mainland and we had this house and we had a basement suite we our monthly cost was six grand a month to live so i think like one of the baseline things to do in life is to understand how much does your life cost every single month and then you can move forward with where you want to go adjusting things whatever that and we got um a car loan (laughs) Oh, yeah. Which was a mistake, yeah, and we won't do that again, yeah. <laughs> but, but we did, and yeah, so there was that too. Okay. So yeah, so it was six, six grand a month. We did that for a little while, and then the market went super crazy in the lower mainland. Like, it felt like over a weekend, I'm sure it was over a couple of weeks, but probably not much more, like, all the houses went up by $100,000 for doing nothing. No rentals, like, it was incredible, and it was just, like, it sucked. It <laughs> sucked because all of a sudden this house that we had bought to buy and hold which means we weren't going to be selling it like we were going to rent it out later and that become part of our passive income stream all of a sudden it's like well we can't just go and purchase a six seven hundred thousand dollar home that we could have done earlier when it was like worth four hundred thousand dollars it was like it was crazy it was just all of a sudden it just felt like the walls were closing in. Like we were already working full time. We didn't have kids. We had renters. We had a smaller upstairs. It just felt awful. Like okay. this, everyone I remember going to work and everyone was like, Oh my goodness, our house is worth so much money. And everyone was so happy about like all of this equity in their home, but it's not realized unless you're moving markets. Because if you sell your home, you need to go down the road to buy the same home. If you upgrade, you're upgrading in the same market. So when your home skyrockets in value and you're staying in that market, it really doesn't mean a lot. Yeah. And so we started to think about other options. Yeah, that BC housing market, it's a tough one these days. Yeah. So with your house, you said that your in-laws helped out a little bit. They put 500 bucks a month of, uh, I guess it was a year's worth of rent. So about six grand, seven grand, somewhere in there probably that they helped put down on the first house. Did you receive any other significant financial assistance along the way, whether it was an inheritance, lottery winnings, anything like that? No, no. It was sweat equity is what they call it. (laughs) Well, good. You know what? Good for you for good for you for saving up to this point without any big lottery winnings, as Tim likes to put it. So, (laughs) yeah. So you mentioned that you you bought a car. You had a car. Are there any other big mistakes or any funny stories that come with those mistakes at all? Did you get a credit card? Did you have credit card debt? Anything like that? 
we had a little bit of credit card debt yet when we were when we were living there. It was pretty like quote unquote normal to have a little bit of credit card debt, pay it off, get a little more, pay it off, and that's just kind of the cycle I did because I didn't know any different. No, that was about it. It was since yeah university it was very much like just racking my brain about like yeah. how do i create passive income so to get into more debt made didn't make sense to me so how much was your car payment or how, how big was your car loan when you got the car so my husband bought it for me for a gift and so he took on all <laughs> i know and so he took on all the payments and he he ended up paying it off so i you're not sure I don't know. I know I should know that, but I don't. That's all right. That's all right. But yeah, now you've learned to not get a car payment. And for listeners out there, episode one, I talk about my biggest financial mistakes and that was getting my truck. And it's mm-hmm. just, you. at the time, you think it's a smart decision and you want to have this fancy new vehicle. And, and it's just, it drains your account. And every single month you see that payment getting taken out and it's just, it, it sucks. And I think you, you know exactly how, how I feel, Nicole, and, and it, it's so good to get rid of that kind of payment and to be free from that. Yeah, it really is. It really does suck because all everything like, oh, it's just a little bit here and a little bit there. It adds up so fast. And yeah. what that really means is, is less freedom in your life. And, and exactly. Oh, man, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of your husband, have you guys always been on board with your finances? Have you invested together? Have you talked about finances lots? You mentioned that in your household growing up, you said you don't talk about finances. Was your husband a big influence of why you started talking about finances? Or was it those books that you read? Or was it something else? And to this day, when you guys are purchasing something at a store or making a big purchase, do you guys talk about it? Or And how often do you sit down and talk about finances? Mm, that's good. Um, no, so... I would say like my husband is interested in financial independence. So understand passive income. I remember bringing that home, this idea of passive income, and we just need to have multiple streams of income as well in order to get to passive income. So I remember asking him questions. So how much money do you think, or would you like to have when you're retired? Like what age do you want to retire? And I would just kind of gather this information that he'd be telling me. And, and then I would say like, oh, well, have you ever thought about passive income? And we'd talk about like, what does that look like? And what could that look like? And so we basically just had really informal conversations as I was learning this stuff. And to my surprise, he had learned some of this stuff growing up, just just absorbing financial conversations that were happening in his home. And other things were completely new to him, but he was very comfortable with money, money talk. And so he's very on board with like, he likes, he thinks it's fine that I'm the one who's really interested in it and that kind of thing. But when I finally like came to the conclusion that like, I don't want to retire in teaching. I, I want to, I have so many interests in life. Like I don't, I want to pivot. I want to change things and I want to speed this up. That's when we started talking about again, really informally though, about what that looks like. And, and he was, he was on board and we both like real estate. Like we renovated this house top to bottom and realized like, okay, this is something we want to do. We also knew early on, like real estate is something we were both very interested in. And so that was an easy thing to be like, okay, so what kind of passive income are you going to be having in retirement or in your life? And so we decided that the main vehicle for us will be real estate through buy and hold real estate. Yeah. Yeah. So do you budget together then at all? Or do you, if you are to buy something, what do you, what kind Mm -hmm. of steps do you guys go through? Or do you go through a step? Mm, Yeah, that's fair. So my husband's not a huge spender. He's not a huge saver, but he's also not a huge spender. And so basically, like I said earlier, we look at like, okay, what does it cost to run our life? And then 
we decided like, okay, basically we split it. So I take half the bills, he takes half the bills, extra money that comes in, we decide where that money is going to go. But so how we do it is we tie our money up. So we do that in our home currently, and we're going to be doing that through rental properties in the future. So to tie it up, basically to, we don't have a bunch of like cash sitting around. We could just go spend. So we decided, I think it was a couple hundred bucks, like 200 bucks, anything over 200 bucks. We need to kind of like consult the other person. But I've always been in the philosophy, like I want my husband to have high quality things that he wants in his life. Like if he really wants something, I want him to have it. And so it's more of a conversation of like, where's this money going to come from outside of paying our monthly bills? Like if you can explain how you're going to get this money, go for it. We also don't like, we're not sneaky with our money, right? Like I don't buy things and, and hide it. He doesn't do that either. So we have a lot of trust in that way, um, which really helps. We also have goals, like the same goals in the future. So we're not sabotaging each other along the way because we have these huge goals that we want to do. And we're both like trucking along towards these goals. So there's a reason not to just hide things and buy things all the time. So yeah, it's really dreaming together, deciding together. Yeah. And so you're talking about goals and you've talked also about financial independence and how that's kind of one of your goals. Mm -hmm. Do you happen to have a, an age in mind that, that you wouldn't mind sharing with the listeners as to when you're hoping you might be able to retire by be financially independent by, I guess. Yeah. 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 That's the thing is there's levels. Mr. Money Mustache. (laughs) Actually, Mr. Money Mustache has a really great article and that, that talks about financial independence and the levels of financial independence. So I guess this kind of brings us back to like, so we were living in the lower mainland and everything was pretty tight. We got this house and then decided to look elsewhere. So my mom, I was on a walk with my mom and she said, Hey, you should look at properties more North than here, like hours North places I'd never heard of. So I went home and I actually Googled the real estate listings in these two little towns my mom mom talked about. Um, My husband has always had a goal of living on a golf course and I'd like to either live on a lake or have a pool. So the first place we go is the golf course. Let's check it out. So there is this home on the golf course for sale. We call the listing agent, we get in, we take a look and we're like, oh my goodness, we are moving north. Because it was perfect. It was crazy. It was like half an acre on the 11th hole of the golf course. 3,500 square feet, uh, like needs renovation, which we wanted to do to add sweat equity and value, but also we love it. And it felt surreal. And so we looked, we went home, we're both um, Christians, believers. So we prayed about it. We put in an offer on the home and we lost the offer. And we didn't get it. And we thought, okay, I guess we're staying. Then they called us back and said, hey, the first offer fell through. Do you still want it? And we said, yes. We felt such peace about it. So we put our house on the market. It sold in three days in the the middle of the winter storm. Yeah. And we moved up two months later and we've been here four years this January. Awesome. So what's the number that you want to hit FI, financially independent, tired by? So in about between eight and 10 years, I'm 34 right now, so... Wow, that's awesome. 42 and 44. So that would be like a lean FI. Okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And for listeners out there who don't really understand the the financial independence or the FIRE movement, the financial independence retire early movement, it's basically these individuals who believe in frugality and saving early on in life and working hard and and still enjoying their life, but being able to live off their investments and their dividends and their 
passive income to be able to retire at an early age in life. So in Nicole's case, in her 40s, but still be able to have an income that comes in that takes over their career income, Mm -hmm. per se. So yeah, and just that idea that time is your most valuable commodity. So if you're able to retire, you know, 15, 20 years earlier, that's maybe 25% of your life that you get back for yourself. Exactly. And so Nicole, obviously, you've had a lot of experiences with finances. If you were to keep it nice and simple to someone who is young or just getting into the finance world or who's trying to get out of debt, what is your advice for them? I would say read, read and listen to podcasts. So they say, you know, like you become the average of the people you hang out with and you can hang out with authors and podcasts podcast hosts like read. like you literally <laughs> hanging out with podcast hosts <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's true that's too funny but yeah. yeah no that's how i started and i think that's how you get the breadth of ideas and so what is something that they should not do if they want to be financially independent down the road they need to not get into debt as much as possible get out of debt because that's ground zero. When you have no debt, that's ground zero. And you want to move okay. up from there. Yeah, only take advice from people who are already successful. Everyone will give you financial advice, but be careful about who you take that advice from. So we talked a little bit about financial independence and you know your, your FI age. Aside from FI, do you have any long-term goals, whether it's 10 years down the road, retirement? What are you hoping to get out of life slash your finances? Yeah, definitely. We have goals, (laughs) super goal oriented, but um, we're choosing to actually move out of this town and go back to the city, but a different city closer to family because we had, we chose to have a baby and we both chose to co-parent and we both work part-time. Moving further north has allowed us to cut our expenses in half. We have no consumer debt. Yeah, we can both work part-time. It's been super freeing. So just kind of taking a taste of what that looks like, having the freedom in our lives to do that. And so we want to flip a couple more. So we flip a primary residence. So if you live in your residence for over a year, you don't pay taxes on your sale. And so we're going to flip a few more homes and then invest in an apartment building and then stay in a primary residence longer. So that's how we're going to get our lean FI number. Cool. Sweet. That's awesome. That honestly, it's such a cool thing to hear that because there's so many different financial communities out there. There is the people who are very focused on getting out of debt. There Mm -hmm. is the people who are out of debt, but then now they're focusing more on the investment world Mm -hmm. and just becoming wealthy down the road. But then there's the fire financial side of the world in the financial world where they're not only investing, but they're looking at a certain age that they want to retire by at an early age. And you, out of all the six figure millennials, I mean, all of them have been really successful. You're the only one who's kind of really focused on more of the FI, the FI, the Mm. financial independence part of your journey, which is, which is super cool because it is a different mentality and it's, it's a really good mentality to have. Like Tim mentioned earlier, you're buying time instead of buying Mm -hmm. the newest Ford F-150 or the newest truck or the newest, the biggest house possible. Instead, you're buying time to be with your family. Like in your case, Nicole, you have a kid. 
So maybe retiring 10, 15 years earlier, you can spend that time with your kid instead. And I think a lot of times memories are more important than buying materialistic things. Yeah. And that whatever, 10 years from now, your kid is say, I don't know how old your kid is, but say they're 10 years old. You literally won't have to miss oh, two, two years old right now. She's so 10, yeah, 10 to 12 years old. You're literally not going to have to miss anything of theirs because you have that financial freedom that you don't need your job. Your job needs you. Mm-hmm. So if you find your job is getting in the way of things, you can just say, oh, okay, I'm done. And exactly. my, like say my kid is the most important thing to me and I can choose to be there for every important moment in my kid's life. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So Nicole, obviously you and your husband are very on board with finances. Mm-hmm. Another tip to give to people, what is your tip to married couples out there who are right now maybe trying to get out of debt or who are trying to reach financial independence? <laughs> What is your advice to them to working together and being on the same page financially? I would say start with the book, Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Read it or listen to it in audiobook form and then talk about it and see where you want to go from there. Awesome. And the other really big one I would say is like, go on a date, have a glass of wine, whatever, go on a date and dream together. Dream about mm-hmm. like, what do you want? And like ask and then really listen because it will be different. You married someone different and that's a good thing. And to listen to that and move towards that together. Mm-hmm. Like whether it's things, stuff, ideas, traveling, whatever it is, like those are the things that anchor you when it's hard not to buy the latest thing. I like that. I think that's really cool. Never really even thought about that, but that's a really good tip. Like some people out there, maybe listeners out there, you're really struggling with debt and you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but maybe just taking one night to not even go out on a date, but maybe even just have a date night at home mm-hmm. and to just, Talk about the goals, like Nicole said, to talk with each other and said, listen, here's our chart. Let's get out of debt by this date. Or here's our goals to be financially independent by this age. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So Nicole, I want to thank you a lot for coming on to this podcast. You were a wonderful guest and you brought a lot of insight to the financial world. It's super cool to hear someone like you who hit a hundred thousand dollars at 28. And now six years later, you've increased your net worth by more than threefold. So that's kind of crazy. And a lot of people think that's, you are a rare case. But anyone can do this if they budget properly, if they invest properly. And Nicole is nodding her head because she agrees with me for listeners who don't, mm-hmm. who, who can't see her. But if you budget properly, if you invest at an early life, like she hit $100,000. And I believe, disagree with me on this if I'm wrong, Tim or Nicole, but the first $100,000 is the hardest. Mm-hmm. And once you hit the first $100,000, after that, your investment just really start to compound on one another or start to grow on itself. And mm-hmm. I think that's very true. It is doable. And Nicole is a success story. And people out there who think it's impossible, it is possible. Yeah. So again, on behalf of the Financial Classroom, Tim and I would like to just say thank you very much for joining. It's it's so encouraging hearing from you and just how hardworking you are. It just really stuck out to me. I'm, I'm still remembering right now that at the start of the podcast, you said in grade 11 and 12, you were saving up for that first year of school and you know you had it all saved up. And I can tell that you're very goal oriented and that when you have a goal, you just really commit yourself to it and you just pour yourself into it. That's gotten you places in life and that's just amazing to hear. And I'm just so 
blown away and encouraged by that. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Nicole, is there any last remark you'd like to say to the listener? And thanks for hanging out with a bunch of podcasters, I guess. <laughs> no, it's been fun. I think just do it one step at a time. It'll always feel very overwhelming, no matter where you are. But one step at a time, it really adds up. Beautiful. Thank you. And so for six-figure millennials out there, if you want to come on the show or if you want to share your success story, feel free to email us at financialclassroom at gmail.com or find us on Instagram, The Financial Classroom, or Facebook, Financial Classroom also. And thanks a lot for listening, guys. Check us out on different podcast platforms and leave us a review or a comment. If you like, that really helps us out. And thanks a lot. Until next time, take care, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more episodes and financial tips, check out our Facebook page, The Financial Classroom. And if you like this podcast, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review on our various podcast platforms. Later.